watching my fellow Americans with your host, Spike Collins. Yes, it's me. Yes, thank you, it's me. Keep clapping. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Clap for the St. Patrick's Day miracle. Yes. How would we know that you wanted the St. Patrick's Day miracle? If you didn't keep clapping, welcome to my fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen. Thank you for taking a break from your St. Patrick's Day festivities to spend an hour with me talking about libertarianism. Because, who? let's face it, what could be more fun than... Hey, thanks so much for joining us. This, of course, is a Muddy Waters Media production. Check us out on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Anchor, Twitter, Periscope, iTunes, Float, Google Play... Everywhere, all of Twitch, every all of the different podcasting applications, anywhere on the internet, check us out wherever you are watching or listening this. Be sure to either like us or follow us or subscribe to us or whatever the thing is called to show approval and following on whatever platform you're using to watch or listen to this right now. If it's on YouTube, then don't just press subscribe, but also hit the bell because I want your phone to literally explode with updates every time we go live or post a new video or really do anything. I want to have total control of your phone whenever I want. So be sure to do that. Be sure to share this video this very second or this audio or whatever again, whatever you are watching or listening to, share it right now. The last thing that I want is for your closest loved ones to miss out on a roughly hour-long libertarian podcast on a Wednesday evening. Be sure to give the gift of Spike Cohen today. Kids 
Love it. This episode, of course, is brought to you by the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, the fastest-growing waffle-related caucus in this or any other political party. Uh, become a member today by going to the official website, which is, uh, or the official uh, Facebook page for the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, which is appropriately named the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus. And if you want to become an actual duly seated and accredited member, whatever that means, go to the Muddied Water store at muddywatersmedia.com slash store and get your button today this episode of course is also brought to you by the gravy king and this episode is brought to you by nug of knowledge uh, smokable CBD products. Uh, Nug of Knowledge is not your everyday CBD supplier. Uh, a portion of the profits go to help end the harmful war on drugs. They also have a compassionate use program that donates medicinal hemp products to veterans and people with disabilities who cannot afford their natural remedies. Uh, and many people who use it say that it helps with joint pain, stress relief, or even a much-needed pick-me-up. Be sure to use the checkout code SPIKE when you go to nugofknowledge.com. Use that checkout code SPIKE for 10% off Today, this episode, of course, is also brought to you by Joe Soloski, running for governor of Pennsylvania. Joe Soloski is the key to Pennsylvania's success. If you want to help him in his run as the Libertarian Party candidate for governor, go to Joe Soloski, J-O-E-S-O-L-O-S-K-I, did I do that right? Yeah, yep. uh, dot com uh, to find out how you can help him today. Uh, we also have a new sponsor who I told you I would try it out, but I forgot to. I haven't tried it out yet, but our newest sponsor, appropriately named is mud water. I mean, that would make sense because we are muddied waters media. That makes sense. Uh, but mud water, which is a coffee alternative. If you were saying to yourself this morning when you were drinking your coffee, you said, honey, or just or maybe you call yourself honey. Maybe you don't have to have a significant other to scream out honey. Honey, I would like to have something that isn't coffee but does have mushrooms in it. Well, we have some fantastic news for you, friend. Mud water is the Mushroom-based coffee alternative. Not those kinds of mushrooms, just normal mushrooms. Uh, it has uh, masala chai in it. Uh, it has cacao, not just cocoa, but cacao. Uh, it has mushrooms. Again, Not you're not going to hallucinate. They're good for you. They're neuroprotective, but you're not going to hallucinate. It has turmeric, sea salt, cinnamon, and that's it. That is it. So if you want to try that out, I can't wait to do it. I just keep forgetting, but uh, I will let you know if it's good or not, but uh, if you want to try it out, if you don't even want to wait to find out if this is actually a product that tastes good or not, uh, then be sure to go over to muddywatersmedia.com slash mud and order your starter kit today, and finally, of course, this episode is brought to you by, where'd that thing go? Personal injury attorney, Chris Reynolds, attorney at law. If you are in Florida and you find yourself personally injured, well, I have some fantastic news for you. I'm so sorry. Also, uh, you can uh, call attack Chris Reynolds and he might be able to get you money. I can't promise that. I'm not going to promise that because then you could sue me and I don't want to get added to your lawsuit, but you might very potentially. It's not unfeasible uh, that Chris Reynolds will be able to get you the money that you need. Uh, if you go to chrisreynoldslaw.com, he can help you today. Uh, the intro and outro music to this and every episode of My Fellow Americans comes from the amazing and talented Mr. Joe Davi. That is J-O-D-A-V-I. Check him out on Facebook. Go to his SoundCloud. Go to joedavimusic.bandcamp.com. Go to his Bandcamp. Buy his entire discography. It's like 25 bucks. You will love it. Thank you so much, Joe Davi. I'd like to thank Le Bleu for this delicious, purified, ultra-pure, ozone oxygenated bpa free non-carbonated kosher water 
that is apparently made in America as well. Bulavanaka. Must have been Parks. That is actually delicious. Shout out to Tehran Turks' mom and him as always. Folks, I've got a really cool guest tonight. You know, we talk a lot about corporate media versus independent media, but I actually have an independent journalist today. Uh, my guest tonight is a journalist and editor and also the founder of BamaNewsNow.com. BamaNewsNow.com, B-A-M-A NewsNow.com, which is one of the largest independent news outlets uh, based in the state of Alabama. Um, and we are going to be talking about uh, the differences between uh, independent journalism and our and our crony corporate media that we uh, that we often have to listen to the lamestream media. So, ladies and gentlemen, my fellow Americans, without any further ado, please welcome to the show my guest, Mr. David Preston. David, thanks so much for coming on, man. Thank you, Spike, for having me. But you missed a platform that they can tune into us on too. That's if they have, if they've had the coronavirus vaccine, they can just tell Bill Gates to play us in their ear. Yes. How could I forget the microchip network, the Bill Gates? Find us on Bill Ch Gates microchip network and, uh, and, and follow us by twitching both of your ears like this. No, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, this is going to be a really exciting conversation. And folks, be sure to uh, leave comment with your thoughts and questions. And David and I will tell you if you are right or wrong. Now, David, uh, before we get started on all of this, I, I'm just curious, what got you into, you know, what made you say, I want to be an independent journalist? I, I want to be a journalist and, and you know, create my own news, or, or not create my news, but cover the news in my own way. Was that kind of a, 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 a an aha moment uh, or sort of a gradual evolution over time? Tell, tell us about the David Preston Genesis story. A little bit of both, actually. I've always wanted to be a radio uh, a conservative radio talk show host uh, ever since I was little and listened to Rush Limbaugh. Like everybody that's, uh, that's in conservative talk radio nowadays is inspired by Rush Limbaugh. But it really started a couple of years ago when I participated in a uh, gun discussion group that was led by Spaceship Media and Advanced Media, which if you're not familiar with who Advanced Media is, they're uh, uh, they, they own NJ.com, AL.com, Oregon Live. They own several websites and newspapers around the country. But that happened the same in Washington, D.C., at the museum, the same weekend they were holding the March for Our Lives rally. So uh, they brought about 20 of us from around the country, different backgrounds, different political views. And that really inspired me to start writing columns, uh, which were obviously tied to the gun, dis uh, the gun discussion. But that kind of, I got my bug. I, I teamed up with a, uh, a, a, a guy out of Huntsville who owns a website called BamaPolitics.com. I started mm -hmm. writing regular columns for him. But his vision for his website was different than what I wanted to see it go in. I wanted it to become more of a general news as well as opinion columns and sports covering er anything and everything regarding to Alabama. So I kind of went out on my own and started Bama News Now, and that's what we're working towards doing now. Cool. Very, very cool. So, um, you know, we we talk a lot on all the Muddy Waters programs. We're, we're not really journalists as much as more kind of opinion people, but we do sometimes break news to the people that, that, that follow us. You know, that right now what we're going through in the media world is sort of this disruption that's happening where – uh, there's and there's many disruptions. The the first one is you know the the old model that we've had for as long as we've had media, which is that you get your media from a small handful of of corporate media outlets, 
um, are is is ending. Um, even with the advent of social media becoming more and more corporate, there's still many more sources that you can get things from. And within those social media outlets, there are many other, you know, smaller outlets that aren't directly affiliated with Facebook or Twitter or YouTube or whatever else. And so it's it's greatly opened up the ability. You know, we right now are producing a program from my computer uh, that is better in quality and distribution than something that even the most high level media outlet could have produced even 10, 15 years ago. Um, and this is now something that basically anyone can do. So there's been this massive decentralization, democratization, whatever you want to call it, of the ability to do media. At the same time, you are seeing that corporate media become more and more centralized into a small handful of corporations and their attempts to use social media through their their connections in government and just general their their influence in pop culture to try to demean that independent media and you know write them off as a bunch of kooks and uh, and it's just a very interesting dynamic what is your take on you know on that struggle between independent and corporate media uh, and, and how it plays out in how we are receiving information and news and so forth well both have a role to play in the media corporate media is not going anywhere anytime soon it's very right. profitable i mean if you look at the the profit numbers for fox news i mean basically it's the only property that the murdochs refused to sell to disney when they sold basically in the entire fox corporation a couple of years ago right to disney because it makes so much money but and, and the same with cbs abc nbc all of those properties but what's exciting is not only are people uh, do you have those different independent sources of media and you have that even at the state level like here in alabama you used to 10 you know 10 years ago even 10 years ago you got your news from al.com you got yep. your news from iHeartMedia, or you got your news from uh, uh from one of the tv corporate on tv stations and that was it yep. but now we have al.com we have uh yellowhammer news we have bama news now bama politics so you're getting many more voices out on the table and what's and what's so exciting is people are actually searching out and looking for those different independent news voices and those different uh, sources because they're uh, because they don't trust the the corporate media anymore because the corporate media is saying well what you believe is wrong or what you believe is stupid or what you believe is a lie you've been told a lie so you need to just listen to us and listen to what what well, you know, we only going to base some facts and truth when in the old model way back when, when uh, William F. Buckley was uh, was around, the role of the media was to tell you the story, give you all the facts as they can give them to you, and then let you make up your mind as to what the truth is. They don't let you do that anymore in media. Yep. They tell you what they think the truth is, and if you don't believe them, then you're a liar, you're a kook, or you just you just need to be uh, canceled because you're uh, because you're destructive to America. And that kind of mentality that we have that that's in corporate media today is is really what is destroying the corporate media from the inside. Because I had a friend who's a retired journalist tell me that when referring to the Washington Post, actually, that the Washington Post is arrogant, but good. And that was a very good description, not only just for the Washington Post, but for corporate media in general. They are arrogant, but good. They, they're good journalists. They're great journalists that work in corporate America. I'm not taking anything away from them. Right. But the, the organizations themselves are arrogant, 
and if, and they think that if you don't uh, trust them and only them or you don't believe their truth then you are you are wrong and you are destructive to america and that's just wrong that's you know if you treat your customers that way in business you're not going to have customers very much long. well and that's the thing right this is what's happening is that it's not even that necessarily although there are definitely times that there are journalists that are hacks and and it's not even worth naming names it, it does happen but generally speaking, it's not necessarily that the journalists are bad or the, that the journalism they're doing is necessarily bad. It's that it is becoming increasingly editorial, as you said. And the editorial is essentially, if you don't agree with us on this, you're a bad person. You are stupid. You're gullible. Uh, you'll listen to anyone. And frankly, you shouldn't be taken seriously. And I mean, if, if you look at what's going on with COVID, I was saying, and I'm no, I'm no genius, Okay, but when I got sick in February after attending the New Hampshire primaries where I interacted with many, 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 many people, okay, I, I leave that and shortly after, a few days later, I get extremely sick and I rarely, rarely get sick. And I go to the doctor and I go, is this that coronavirus thing? Because I was around a lot of people. I know supposedly there are only a few people here who have it. It turns out that was a lie. But I said, you know, is it possible I have it? And the doctor said, she said, yeah, you might have it. Uh, but there's no way of knowing we're not allowed to test for it yet, which was shocking to me. And she said, so we're going to give you the, uh, the flu virus or the flu vaccine or the flu test. They gave me the flu test, came back negative. She said, okay, let's assume you have COVID, uh, or some other similar viral infection, stay home for at least two or three weeks until, until you feel better. So I voluntarily, uh, quarantined myself for, uh, the rest of February and even a good bit of March because I just didn't want to inadvertently be spreading it. They were talking about it could last for 27 days back then. You know, we really didn't know a lot. But at that time, while I was voluntarily quarantining, I was literally in this room making these videos. Um, I, uh, I was also making anti-lockdown videos saying lockdowns aren't a good idea. Mask mandates aren't a good idea. And the narrative then from corporate media was, you idiot, that's never going to happen here. Two or three weeks later, the corporate narrative was, you idiot, if you don't go out, if you go outside or if you don't do what, what they say and do these lockdowns, then you're killing everyone's grandparents. Uh, and, and we now know we have the benefit of an entire year knowing that the data is showing that the lockdowns didn't work, that even the mask mandates didn't work, um, that there wasn't any real appreciable difference uh, between similar states and cities and communities that had these mandates and lockdowns, and that didn't. And yet the entire time and even now, Corporate media, not just the government and the politicians, we expect that from them, but corporate media continues to tell us that we are, you know, harming other people if we are, for example, going outside to see our family, going outside uh, to, you know, St. Patrick's events or going outside to sports events or going inside to see our families for Thanksgiving or Christmas or, you know, doing any of these other things. Now, of course, when there were massive Biden celebrations uh, after Biden won, that was OK. That was a celebration of democracy. But then after that, again, after that, then it was bad again. Uh, you know, is there a point where they will sense that maybe they can also get things wrong and should maybe be a little bit more humble? Or is it really going to take us just leaving them and going on to media that, you know, at least treats us like maybe we know what we're talking about. We aren't a bunch of rubes and idiots. They're never going to learn. And the yeah. reason I, uh, the, the perfect example I can give of why they are never going to learn and become more home, humble and be self-critical, -critic which is what they really need to do to become better as an organization not just journalists but as an organization is the the recent news uh, out of washington washington post 
was just exposed for uh, basically making up quotes on a Trump phone call to election officials in Georgia. Stuff that was never said, never said. They basically, that they put in quotes and it was, uh, and it was presented as these are direct quotes. And it, you know, two or three months later, obviously after Biden's in office and doesn't really matter anymore, they came back and it was, they didn't even come back. It had to be exposed by different media organizations. And then Washington Post said, well, our source basically paraphrased uh, and summarized what was in the, 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 the phone call. And we inadvertently put it in, uh, in quotes. No, you presented that information as a direct quote. You did it. You got wrong. You got it wrong. You got the quotes wrong. You should have presented it as a, as a paraphrase, a paraphrasing or a summarization not as a direct quote, and instead of apologizing, you're just trying to deflect and obfuscate your responsibility right. in this matter, and that's just wrong. And like Zach Britt says in the comments, it was on tape. This was uh, this was a uh, this was something that was recorded, and we know that there were other things that were on there where things were where he had made some kind of veiled threats and things like that. But there were actually parts of it that were like you said they were quoted. But the whole recording is there for you to listen to, and it, and it actually wasn't there. It's a very, it's a very interesting thing that that you know. And like you said, then when when they get caught, they go, "Well, you're you know, you're you're all a bunch of fools." And it's it's a very, uh, it's a very interesting dynamic. Let's let's talk about how uh, media is covering, uh, for example, the first fifty days of Joe Biden, of uh, the Biden or fifty plus. What are we up to? 60, 55 days, something, something like, like that. that. Something like that. Um, Joe Biden, um, well, let's first of all say, when we say corporate media, there is a left corporate media and a right corporate media, kind of a center-right and center-left corporate media. Um, the center-left is obviously much larger um, and, and than the center-right, um, just as a, a result of them kind of being the media for the longest period of time and, and then, you know, this more disruptive uh, Fox media. But in terms of viewership and things like that, it's actually pretty even. Um, but so let's look at the you know the first 50 days of the Biden administration the major differences between the Biden and Trump administration from what I've seen uh in terms of actual policy not rhetoric but policy the major differences I've seen are that uh you now have to wear a mask when you are on federal property and on airplanes unless you're Joe Biden or John Kerry um and then also uh transgender people are able to serve in the military again uh, there is no, in terms of everything else, we are still seeing massive deficit spending with no end in sight. We are still seeing uh, uh, escalations of wars overseas. We are still seeing families and children being put in cages. I'm, I'm sorry, overflow migrant detention facilities. They're not cages anymore. Now they're facilities. But we're seeing children and families being put in cages. We are seeing uh, what was essentially the the logical conclusion to COVID uh, with both the warming of the weather, uh, us approaching something resembling herd immunity and the vaccines, which was something that was going to happen if Trump was in office, Biden was in office. That's not a big difference. So there isn't really a huge difference. And yet, would you say that there's been a difference in how corporate media has been covering the last 50 plus days or two months or whatever compared to, I don't know, the last four years in office? Oh, absolutely. The Just the tone and tenor of the the way that the, the journalists are covering the different administrations. Like, I, I believe one of the first questions from the current press secretary, uh, Jen Psaki, when she uh, became press secretary after the inauguration, was something about animals or something. That's not, that is a question that uh, 
would have never been asked of Sarah Huckabee Sanders because they were too busy trying to, you know, do gotcha questions to her or about Trump or for Trump right. or, or whatever. And you're right. First of all, on, uh, on the, you know, all these, uh, these stooges in the liberal uh, corporate media, they owe me gas money because I don't know if you've noticed the, the price of gas lately, but it's almost gone up uh, here in Alabama a dollar per gallon over what it was when Trump left, left office. Now, right. yes, all of that's not uh, Joe Biden's responsibility. You know, the, right, right, right. You know, oil is a worldwide uh, commodity, but he does have a lot to do with it. And, uh, but, you know, again, like I was going back to the corporate media and it's and like you said, it's on both sides. Fox News has certainly become more combative and more right. you know, in your face about their coverage. of the Right, 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 right. And uh, uh, and the 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 other outlets have become a lot more friendlier to the uh, with their coverage of the Biden administration than they were with the Trump administration. Right. Uh, and I'm like. It's your job as a journalist not to be friends with any of these people and not to ask them softball questions, but to ask them hard-hitting questions and demand that they answer your question. If they don't answer it right then and there in the press conference, then you follow. You can continue to follow up with them. You continue to ask for the information that you've asked for, and you press them until you get the answer. That's what a journalist's job used to be. It's not that anymore, and and uh, and until corporate media realizes that that's the type of journalism that so many Americans is looking for and is missing from TV news, cable news, even uh, local, uh, what's left of local newspapers and websites, they're going to continue to lose viewership and they're going to continue to lose a readership. And it's going to continue to uh, continue to harm the corporate media industry because that's one of the reasons why I started seeking out independent sources of media because and right. reading all, as much as I can, because it's that uh, because I'm looking for that in-depth, uh, in-depth coverage of a uh, of a subject. Like for example, uh, CNN. I used to have the CNN news app on my phone when uh, Trump was inaugurated. There was one subject related to the inauguration. I can't remember what it was, but CNN had five different articles listed at the top of their app, all about the same subject. When one in-depth article from maybe one or two of the journalists would have done, and it could have, they could have gone a deep dive into into it, but they but right. they didn't do it, and it and that's what that's why corporate media is being labeled as biased and fake news because they because it, when they do something like five articles on the same topic, it makes the reader or the viewer feel like they're bombarding and they're going after that subject matter which just happened to be Trump. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting thing. Two two things, and, and they are fake news. Uh, even if what they're saying is true, uh, at times the way that they present it is in the most phony way possible. You will see how the same headline is used over and over again for a series of stories when it's obvious that these corporations are pushing a specific narrative. Often that is very cynically made just to benefit them and make them profit. It, it's absolutely incredible. I think two things, and you mentioned one of them was, was energy, two things that have shown a real sharp shift in how uh, things are being covered. 
Um, I, I want to say personally, I think that uh, gas prices right now are largely a result of the fact that the economy is opening back up, that, you know, there's this sense that we are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel with COVID. Uh, I, the big major move in energy that uh, the, the two big major moves in energy that Biden has made, the canceling of the uh, the Keystone pipeline, which was kind of dead in the water and hadn't been completed, and his moves to uh, not allow any new uh, um, or continuations of fracking licenses on federal lands. Those are things that will affect, will definitely affect energy prices in the future. I don't know, outside of some speculation, how much that's going to affect prices right now. I think it has more to do with the, with just the the natural ramping up of the economy that's going to happen once people feel like the pandemic is, we're, we're on the tail end of the pandemic. But we see how it's being covered differently. If Donald Trump was in office and this was happening, the you know left side of corporate media, which is the, the bulk of corporate media would be finding a way to blame Trump uh, and the right-wing media would be saying, well, no, this is a natural occurrence. Whereas now it's flipped around. The media is either ignoring, the, the, the majority of media is either ignoring it uh, or, or explaining it. Uh, and the right-wing media is saying, no, Joe Biden has driven up uh, you know, energy costs. Another one is uh, the fact that uh, Joe Biden still hasn't had a press conference where he's actually taken questions from anyone. Uh, and the few times he has taken questions from uh, journalists, he'll come over and say, yes, we're in discussions with people or something like that and then immediately walk away um and we know that you know when when trump didn't give uh regular uh press conferences the few times that he didn't do that that left side of corporate media uh was saying where's trump trump is hiding trump's hiding hiding from us uh you know why don't why haven't we heard from trump and yet biden as i understand it has actually broken a record for the uh a hundred year record for the longest time that a, a sitting president has gone since he's been inaugurated um that he has not uh spoken with journalists um, so but I guess he's my question hard at work. Go- I was just going to say, but he's hard at work trying to solve the problem of the, 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 the pandemic. He doesn't have time to do a press conference, according to the corporate left stream media, because he's hard at work. But very you hard. Know, very hard would you work. really want you know, uh, to have a press conference with a president that looks like Lemony Snicket from the series of unfortunate events? I mean, no, I didn't vote for him. I, I voted for myself. So, uh, <laughs> well, thank you. That, well, that means a lot. Thank you. Thank you. I wasn't going to, I always feel weird asking, but did you vote for me? But, that, but hey, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you know, well, it's, it's a I very... voted libertarian in the last two election cycles, mainly uh, because, you know, I got dissolution with the Republicans, but also I just really did not like Trump. I mean, his personality, uh, you know, we, he, Trump and I agree on a lot of things, a lot of policy. But just and it, and for me, it was just the way he talked about the female members of his family just rubbed me the wrong way. And because I live in Alabama and Trump both broke. He was uh, going to win Alabama. Reagan's yeah, records yeah, yeah. in uh, Alabama. I knew I could vote for the Libertarian Party and he would still win the state state. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to give my vote to the Libertarian Party. Hopefully enough people do that, that we can uh, we can get them uh, better ballot access, which, you know, as well as I do was not successful the last couple of times. No, but I appreciate your support, and we're, and we're building on it as much as we can. Um, uh, in the comments, uh, Sarah Morales says that we are in a series of unfortunate events, so it would be appropriate that, that, that we've elected Biden. Um, <laughs> you know, it, but it's, it's a very interesting thing to see that, that shift and, and you know, 
even when they're talking about the kids in cages, that that was the big one, right? Like for for a uh-huh. good part of 2018 and 2017, it was the kids in the cages. We got to do something about the kids in these cages. Trump is putting kids in cages, and, and one of the few things that Trump said that I I actually cheered on when he said it. I, I was live streaming it on on uh, on Muddy Waters when he was doing it in the debate. He said to Joe Biden. Who built the cages, Joe? And he was right. Uh, Barack Obama, who still, I still call him the deporter-in-chief because he still has the single-term record for uh, most number of immigrants deported uh, and detained. Uh, and it, was, it wasn't it was even, cl- you know, uh, Donald Trump didn't even come close uh, to the number of, uh, it was something like four or five times more that were deported by uh, Obama than by Trump in, in, in their respective uh, single terms or first terms. Uh, it is, it's, you know, it, it's wild to see that shift where it's like, yeah, you know, uh, uh, it's not a problem anymore. Or, you know, well, at least the person doing it isn't saying mean things and tweeting mean things about migrants anymore. It's like, yeah, I'm sure that's a real consolation to them while they're being shoved in cages in record numbers. Like, it, it's 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 absolutely amazing. So you, you're of the opinion that this is not something that they're going to self-correct. This is, no. there's so much hubris there that they're just going to continue to lose market share as they continue to insult larger and larger portions of their of their intended uh, target audience. They will continue. Uh, they will continue down this path until they get to the point where their cor- corporate overlords, and that's what I'm going to call them, is corporate overlords. They're basically their corporate boardrooms. Look at the bottom. You know, uh, look at the bottom line and realize that their bottom line is shrinking because their news divisions are losing more and more money because right. advertisers don't want to advertise on those uh, on those uh, those productions because nobody's watching them. That is the only way that it, they are ever going to get close to the point of self-correcting because you know money money walks uh, talks everything else walks. Right, right, right. And it, it's funny and they're seeing a major reduction in ratings because Trump's not around anymore. And mm-hmm. uh, they can't even talk about his tweets because he's not on Twitter. So all they can do is mention his occasional, uh, you know, press release that he puts out. And I've seen a dynamic, especially of people on the uh, on the left, who I've I've heard it so many times and seen it so many times on me- social media. And I'm sure those of you watching at home, and, and David, you probably have as well. People going, I'm so glad that I don't have to pay attention to the news anymore. Now that we have a good, decent president in office, <laughs> I don't have to follow what's happening right now. And it's like. Well, first of all, yeah, you do, be. and the fact that yeah, you really should be the the fact that you uh, uh, the fact that you uh, are having, just given total trust to Joe Biden. Maybe you should be paying attention because some bad stuff's happening right now. But also, that can't be good for ratings. These are people that were watching CNN and MSNBC to get their daily outrage porn, and now that you know someone that they are were told that they can trust is in office, they're like, oh, no, that's fine. I don't need to cover the news. You know, I you know they, he's got it handled. Everything's going to be okay. So that certainly can't be. Helpful helping their ratings oh it uh, absolutely isn't uh helping their ratings you know uh, uh barbara walters uh when she was still on the view said it best when barack obama was elected president that the best thing that ever happened to rush limbaugh was barack obama getting yes. elected president because 
because that forced conservatives to start paying attention again because they had gotten used to eight years of George Bush in office. They may or may not have liked George Bush, but he was a nice, affable guy, and he wasn't really doing anything that yep. was yep. uber uber liberal. So they really could tune out and go do whatever they wanted to do. But once Barack yeah. Obama became president, they had to start paying attention again. And guess what happened to the the ratings of conservative media outlets like Rush Limbaugh, Fox News, and and so forth? They went sky high because a conservative start paying again paying attention again you're starting to see that same phenomenon ratings for fox news newsmax other conservative media outlets are starting to go back up because conservatives are tuning in again and the ratings for liberal left uh, left wing media outlets are going down like cnn because democrats don't feel like they have to pay much attention because their man's in office their man's going to take care of them their man's going to send them a 1400 dollars stimulus check every month and everything life's going to be great in Alexis de Tocqueville's America. <laughs> yeah, Alexis de Tocqueville's America. Yeah, no, it's it's very interesting. It is a, it is an interesting thing that, you know, uh, the media who <laughs> demanded, essentially, or the, the part of media that demanded, essentially, that Joe Biden be president is now suffering as a result of it in their in terms of their profits. But the thing is, media, and this is part of the, the something we need to cover uh, or talk about, corporate media is really a loss leader for the the larger corporation it's a part of. They're fine with their media outlet losing at least some money as long as the other rest of the corporation is doing fine and good. And we have a corporatist president to match corporatist presidents when it comes with handing massive corporate welfare and bailouts to the big crony corporations, mega, you know, mega corps and multinational uh, multi-trillion dollar and billion dollar businesses um, that they're getting handed trillions of dollars and you're getting stuck with the bill for, you know, if you look at all these, uh, all these stimulus bills that have happened, uh, there is already been a uh, $6.6 trillion spent when you compare the amount of money that's been spent from the stimulus bills, uh, the, the three spent stimulus bills, the uh, executive actions that have been taken and the federal reserve actions that have been taken, something like $6.6 trillion have been spent already. Uh, that works out to roughly $20,000 per American citizen, not taxpayer, not household. Every single American in this country uh, would get uh, roughly $20,000. Uh, instead, they've all been stuck with $20,000 bill plus interest. And there's another $4 trillion to be spent, almost $4 trillion to be spent, which will bring the total up to $32,000. The average American has $3,200 to show for that. So roughly a tenth of what they're going to end up being stuck with a bill for with interest. The interest interest will end up over the next 40 years being more than the $3,200 that they got out of the whole thing. It's a huge shell game. But anyway, before we go down to that whole rabbit hole, let's talk about something, kind of shift gears a little bit uh, and talk about uh, we'll, we'll, we'll still stay on a, on a federal thing. Uh, here's someone who actually is a holdover from the uh, Trump administration, uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci. I think I'm saying that correctly. Um, you wrote a very interesting. Well, I was going to say you you wrote a very interesting article recently comparing him to Lucy from Peanuts. And I, I want you to explain this because uh, it's a really fun article to read. And uh, I will actually put it in the in the comments while you're while you're talking about it so people can read it later. Um, but, uh, you know, without I don't I don't want to I don't want to bury your lead here. So go ahead. How is Dr. Fauci like Lucy from Peanuts? Okay, I got the idea. The idea was inspired uh, by the by an interview he did with ABC News left the corporate media, in which he yeah. said that he, uh, the reason why he initially said 60 to 70% of Americans need to get the vaccine for herd immunity to take effect 
is because he felt like less than half of Americans were going to want to get the vaccine. When he saw numbers that uh, upwards of 60 to 65% of Americans were uh, were willing to get the vaccine, he said he felt comfortable upping that number to 75 to 80%. And I'm like, I didn't, uh, I'm not a doctor. I didn't go to medical school, but I did take high school biology and yeah. a high school human anatomy. That's not the way he, herd immunity works. Right, right, herd right. immunity work doesn't, uh, doesn't change based off of how many people are willing to get vaccinated or not. Herd immunity is a definite finite number now it's different for different viruses i will grant you that but yeah. it's a definite finite number that you need to reach for the for basically the herd quote unquote the human population to be immune from that virus and uh and i was like and i started thinking i was like and then thinking back on how many times has dr fauci been wrong throughout the the pandemic you know with the, the first of all when uh, it first started he's like don't wear face masks they're useless i'm like that doesn't make sense either because anybody that's taken uh high school bi biology knows that if it's a coronavirus which we know uh, there's like 12 15 coronaviruses out there we've named like nine of them uh, uh so but to be a part of a family like a coronavirus family you have to share certain characteristics like you have to share certain genes with your extended family to be considered a family member right i mean your cousins they're not like you but they're like you because they have similar genes right 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 Right. But uh, right. so I was like, uh, and one of the, we, and what we know about other coronaviruses is they are highly transmissible through the air, through, through breathing in. So why aren't, why aren't they telling us to wear a face mask? And then eventually it changed to, you need to wear a face mask. So he changed He's changed his story so many times throughout the pandemic. I was like, this guy is Lucy with the football and Char yep. we, the American people are Charlie Brown. And I was like, that would make a great column. So I started writing it, and then I remembered uh, remembered while I was writing it, I was like, "Didn't Lucy also run a, a medical advice stand where you could get medical yes. advice?" Yes, for five cents. Yep. Yeah, I was like, "Well, <laughs> if he continues to be wrong and continues to change his story over and over again, as he's continued to do since I've written the column, his advice is going to be about worth worth about five cents." I mean, am I wrong? I mean, there's only so many times a boy can cry wolf. And this is the problem, right, is that, you know, when you have someone that's constantly shifting the goalpost or, as you put it, you know, constantly throwing the football out and saying, oh, no, next time we'll definitely let you go outside again or tell you that it's safe to go outside again or in some cases let you go outside again, um, you know, it eventually reaches a point where people shrug their shoulders and say, I'm going to just go back to living my life. You know, I, there's that picture of, uh, of him holding up the thing saying 15 days to slow the spread. That was over mm -hmm. a year ago. And uh, and the reason that was over a year ago, you know, originally we were told and this is, again, Lucy with the football, the purpose of these lockdowns, we're not going to stop the virus. We now have community spread and we're not going to stop it. But what we can do is avoid the uh, disaster that has happened in other countries where their healthcare systems weren't ready to deal with the influx of all these patients. So what we're going to do is for a roughly two-week period, we're going to just kind of have everyone stay home as much as possible to help slow the spread temporarily so that we can deal with uh, – so that the hospitals and, and, and supply chain can deal with the upcoming surge so that when we 
open things back up, then people can go and and you know it'll it'll naturally spread and you know we can deal with that surge and we may occasionally if it surges too high have to do temporary lockdowns. During that time, they and the World Health Organization and probably other organizations as well said that long-term lockdowns don't work because you can't feasibly make everyone stay in their house for longer than 2 weeks or even really just exclusively stay in their house for 2 weeks because everything would fall apart. The farms would lie fallow, the the you know power plants would would you know shut down, the 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 you know the, the supply chain would fall apart, you know, people would be dying of of you know uh preventable illnesses and heart attacks and everything else because they can't go anywhere. So you can't make everyone stay home for two weeks. So you have to kind of restrict them somewhat and 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 the longer that goes on, the more likely they are to find a new routine that results in them interacting with just as many people as they would have without the lockdowns. And really all you're doing is causing, you know, devastation to small businesses. You're causing devastation to people uh, who need to get a uh, treatment for addiction or, uh, you know, uh, preventable illnesses or cancer. Uh, you're, you're devastating an entire generation of children uh, who are missing that interaction at school. Um, you are making, making people more and more lonely because they're not around as many people and they're more shut in you're feeding people's hypochondria by making them think that walking outside is going to make them sick and die all these bad things are going to happen and they said this they said that it was going to hurt people and that they shouldn't do it and then they did it and then they told everyone that if you don't go along with it you were killing your grandmother and of course now we have the benefit of the data showing it was all garbage but you know they told us over and over and over again they kept moving it it was 15 days it was a month it was we got to you know shut the world down until we end disease and uh, and it was very interesting to see how that got covered Oh, exactly. And if uh, you said, uh, if you don't do this, you're going to kill your grandmother. Well, Alabama's Meemaw, uh, Governor Meemaw, Kay Ivey, she's kept us in masks and she's going to keep us in masks till April 5th or April 9th, one or the other. I can't remember. Yes. Uh, of, 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 and basically, I think the only reason she did that, and this ties back into corporate media, is so that when we see a spike after uh, spring break is over with, because we're currently yep. in the middle of spring break right now. now yep, yep, yep. Alabama's beaches are a big destination for uh, college and uh, and high school spring breakers because we're family friendly beaches. You don't go, you're not going to come to Alabama's beaches and see a bunch of uh, a bunch of uh, LGBTQ people uh, prancing around the beach, uh, hugging and kissing each other, and uh, and uh, and a bunch of lewd con- uh, conduct even amongst uh, people that aren't LGBT because we're family friendly beaches. Our uh, our police make sure that we stay f- uh, family friendly beaches. But so we're going to. So, and, and every listen, I drive for a living, so I drive the interstate to, the, that goes towards the beaches, and I can tell you that they're they're overcrowded because they didn't get spring break last year, so they're trying to get it in this year. We're going to see a spike, especially in Alabama and especially in the southeast, after spring break's over with. And she kept the mask mandate in place through Easter so that AL.com, the leftist corporate media in this state, could not criticize her for ending the mask mandate at the beginning of March. And right. then we saw a spike in uh, a spike that we are going to see because of spring break. Because and mask mandates don't work. Exactly. Well, they don't work. And, <laughs> they don't work. They don't they, work. And, and even in Alabama, they don't work because they're not enforced. We have a mask well, mandate, but... I mean, if you walk into a store or a restaurant or anything without a mask, they're not going to stop you and tell you, unless they're just really militant about it, they're not going to stop you and tell them to turn around and go uh, go back out until you get a mask. They're just going to let you walk in, do what you think you need to do, and go. Uh, I mean, uh, because where there is no enforcement, you can't be arrested for not wearing a mask in, in, this, uh, in the state of Alabama. 
That's why yeah. I predicted in March that she would end the mandate, but she would change the language from mandate to recommendation. But she just said, instead of doing that, she said, I'm extending the mandate, but I'm not going to extend it past the next, uh, the next deadline. After the next deadline, we're over. It's over and done with. Right, right, right. So it's a, it's a CYA. It's a CYA. Everyone here knows that this thing doesn't work at this point, but they're still saying it so that the media doesn't go, you with your mask mandate removal, you're, you killed all these people. And it's like, no, that's not how this works. If the mask mandates worked, then California and Washington, D.C. and New York would have much lower rates of spread, and they don't. It hasn't happened. It has not and happened. Cuomo and Andrew wouldn't have had to uh, fudge the uh, the death numbers in nursing homes. Because oh, please. It. Yeah, and he wouldn't have had to do that. You wouldn't have just seen John Kerry get caught you know, sitting in a plane with his, with that, without a, a commercial plane uh, in first class, refusing to not wear, wearing his mask, and then claiming, oh, uh, it fell off. You can see his lap. It didn't fall off. He was just sitting there because not only does he think he's above the law, which he is, but he also recognized if if John Kerry and if uh, Joe Biden, when he went to uh, when he went to uh, um, uh, the Lincoln uh, Memorial hours after signing the, the federal mask mandate, saying that he would have to wear a mask there. And then he didn't. He went there with his whole family or uh, or, uh, you know, uh, Governor uh, Gavin Newsom at French Laundry. If if they only. They, not only do they think that they're above the law, but they also are demonstrating that they know that this is all BS. Because if they actually thought that these mandates and lockdowns worked, then they would be doing them voluntarily to save their own lives. John Kerry is not a young man. Uh, Joe Biden's not a young man. They know that this is nonsense. I, I want to go to a couple con, uh, um, uh, a couple Real of comments here. the John here. Kerry story, though, Sure, sure, sure. The shocking yeah. part of that story isn't that he wasn't wearing a mask. The shocking part of the story was he's flying commercial. Yeah, well, you know why he's flying commercial because he gets all the flack for fr- flying on his private jet when he's the climate czar, uh, you know, <laughs> of the country, yeah. you know, giving us a hard time because we eat beef or don't all drive hybrids. Hybrids, and here he are, is driving, uh, flying around in his own uh, private jet. So here's some comments. Uh, Elizabeth Kokiard, hey Elizabeth, uh, says we lost a homeless vet to cancer because of Holcomb's executive restriction on hospital procedures. We're holding a vigil in two weeks. That is horrifying and it's i wish i could say it was the first time i heard it i've talked to many people uh who have cancer or who had cancer who have not been allowed uh, up until recently for an entire year to have screenings for cancer because of the off chance that they might catch covid in a hospital that has explicitly said we are able to protect the covid uh, the non-covid patients from the covid patients these are the same state governments that were shoving as you mentioned shoving covid patients in nursing homes and mental health facilities who were saying we don't have the protocols in place to protect our residents from these covid patients and then of course they lied to the investigators about all the deaths that happened as a result of it but but now you know you can't go and get checked for cancer you can't go to it's funny you couldn't go to an aa meeting because that's non-essential but you can go to an alcohol store or a store that sells alcohol i mean this was game to hurt everyday americans um someone else said uh um uh, uh, Sarah Morales said a new routine. I had to file chapter 11 on my bakery. I'm so sorry. I mean, that this is what they did to small businesses. The big ones yeah. got massive bailouts. You got told that you were, you know, a threat to everyone around them, around you. Justico Mitchell says, how dumb were we to think they meant 15 days? I was for it. Justico, I, uh, quarantined voluntarily for roughly a month because we just didn't know. And I missed a couple of, of libertarian events. And I told them why I said, listen, I was sick. 
and we don't know how long it lasts after you're sick. Uh, and I don't know that I have COVID. Uh, I may have it. And so I'm just going to do things remotely uh, until we know for certain that everything's okay. And, and you know, after a while, it was obvious that everything was going to be okay. And I, and I resumed doing it. I made a personal choice, which was far better than any kind of lockdown or mandate or anything else. Stanley Jajawi says, I never stopped working because I was essential. All of this is a joke. You know, there, there were entire industries where people just continued to, uh, you know, continue to do things as is. So it was, I mean, I was one of those. I'm my uh, paying job, the job that I'm working until I can start making enough money off of Bama News now to support myself, is I yeah. deliver. Uh, I, I deliver bread. I'm a, a del- bread delivery driver, uh, auto parts as well, and uh, lab specimens uh, as well. So it's uh, you know I worked the entire pandemic, the right. all the way through. Yes, I lost some some revenue from some places that had closed uh, had been forced to close down. Right, but it wasn't. Right. Fortunately, it wasn't a lot. But I worked straight through. I was. I'm just like uh, your uh, your commenter there that you know I worked all the way through, and that's uh, and because I'm in and out of hospitals all the time with lab specimens and bread, it's why mm-hmm. I volunteered before they even there was even a mask mandate to start wearing my mask on a regular basis because. I'm going in and out of these hospitals. I don't want to bring coronavirus in if I catch it. That's why I'm on Saturday getting my second dose of the Moderna vaccine because I'm in and out of these hospitals all the time. It makes sense for me. And I made the personal choice to get the vaccine for that very reason. Nobody right. made me get the vaccine. I just chose to do so because of the fact that I realize I'm going into high risk, high risk buildings and high risk situations. So it's better for me to, to do what I need to do to mitigate my chances of not only catching the coronavirus, but bringing it into those high risk situations. Exactly. You made a personal choice based on your desire to r- mitigate risk to yourself and others. And, and mm-hmm. if, if someone agrees, uh, uh, Oh, I'm glad I said your name, right? Stanley. I was worried about that. Uh, if someone agrees with you, they disagree with you. That's perfectly fine. You made a personal choice. You didn't try to turn around and, and tell someone else you have to do this too. And if you don't do it, you're killing my grandma and all that nonsense. Uh, you just made a personal choice. Like I did. I remember when I was making the videos and there were people saying, why are you saying you're against lockdowns when you're, uh, quarantining? And I said, because I, I'm choosing to do that. I am choosing to do that. And I'm also in a position, I'm retired. I don't have to go work. My life was yeah. not substantively changed during that time. My wife went grocery shopping instead of me during that time. A couple times I went to the beach when there was no one else out there. Uh, but for the most part, my life wasn't substantively changed. I was in a position to be able to make that choice. And so I did it. And it didn't affect me. You can't impose that choice on people who are non-essential, who have to, who are essential to their households to be able to make an income in order to be able to, uh, to, be able to provide for their families. And, and it, it's just very sad. Is- and a quarantine is isolating sick people. A yep. lockdown is yes. controlling the population. Thank you. Yep. That's you're quarantining healthy people. Yeah. You're quarantining the vast majority of people who are healthy. And especially once we knew, because again, early on, you know, in some countries, the fatality rate was as high as eight, nine, 10%. That's de- like, that's scary. That's a scary, scary thing. That's something like 30 times as many people dying as what we're seeing right now. That's millions of Americans dead. That's a scary thing. So, you know, in March, I'm like, hey, I'm going to take this thing easy just in case. As the data started coming out into into March and April and May, showing that the fatality rate of this thing, it was anywhere from 
you know, so it's it was several times more deadly than the flu, but it wasn't the movie Contagion, where one out of every five or ten people was going to drop dead of it. And it was largely going to affect people that were older and had comorbidities or people that were morbidly obese. Um, uh, and that the, the reason that the fatality rate was so high to begin with was because they were shoving patients in into nursing homes with the people that are the most likely to die from it. Um, and, and as we saw that and that it wasn't truly airborne, which interestingly enough, when they said it's airborne, so we have to do a lockdown. If it's airborne, the lockdown's not going to do anything. You can catch the cold in your house not going outside because the cold viruses or most of the cold viruses, the rhinoviruses and, and coronaviruses that are the cold virus, they freely float around with just enough of a load to, for, if you, for you to catch it through your, your freaking AC vent. So unless we all had HEPA filters on every register coming into the house and all of our windows were airtight, there's no way to stop a truly airborne virus from spreading. Might as well go outside and go live your life because you're going to catch it anyway. Uh, the the, the so-called science behind this was absolutely absurd. But I mean, we can go ad nauseum into this. I, I want to shift quite a bit uh, into something else that government does to impose itself on the people uh, who have done nothing wrong or haven't been accused or often haven't even been accused of doing anything wrong. We actually talked about this on my last episode with uh, with Josh and Justin with uh, For All Tennessee, and that's the subject of civil asset forfeiture. And I'm you've you've actually been uh, you've been covering this somewhat. Um, tell us about, uh, uh, this has been a hot button issue in Alabama. Tell us a little bit about what civil asset forfeiture is and tell us about what's happening in Alabama with that subject. Okay. Civil asset forfeiture, at least here in Alabama, I may not be completely familiar. It may be slightly different in different States, but here in Alabama, if you are suspected of criminal activity, but the police cannot prove that you are, uh, you participated in, in that, uh, that criminal activity and you profited from that uh, that criminal activity they can right. do what's called civil asset forfeiture where they can go to, and uh, to a court and ask the court to basically force you to turn over their your property to them yeah. because they think you committed a crime and profited right. from it. perfect example of uh, a perfect example of how how ludicrous that is right here in mobile alabama where i sit uh, uh, before the uh, pandemic started, we were having a controversy with tow trucks and the uh, the the record uh, list for whenever you get in a car a car accident and police respond to, respond to the car accident. There's a list of towing companies that they basically go down the list and they call uh, you know and you know, call you when it's your turn and you come pick up a vehicle. Well, the 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 ordinance that uh, that established that set out. Uh, set out the, the the fine and fee structure for that well there's uh, to, to to make a long story short there's some back and uh, there was some back and forth and there's some legal opinions about what is a consensual tow which cannot be regulated by state or local uh, ordinance and what is a non-consensual tow which can be regulated by the state and local ordinance and it went right. back and forth and back and forth one of the tow companies that really challenged the uh, really challenged the police on this matter ended up getting charged. The owners ended up getting charged with multiple counts of fraud because they uh, because they were overcharging insurance companies and customers uh, from what the ordinance said that they could charge. Oh, okay. The tow companies uh, the tow companies said, "Well, it's a consensual tow. We can charge whatever fees." You know, and and there were some other things. 
Well, any after the the fraud charges, which were dubious at best, because I saw the uh, the arrest warrant applications and uh, the, and for for the for the charges, the the charges are dubious, so dubious that a district court judge and a, a circuit court judge said most likely that the prosecution will fail in uh, when <laughs> when it goes to trial. Two judges right. that it yeah. will probably uh, probably fail. That didn't right. stop the police from uh, nope. trying to uh, seize their tow trucks. Both judges said they're probably going to fail. They get their tow trucks. I'm not granting you the civil asset forfeiture, or better yet, it was a, uh, uh, a, t- a temporary injunction re- forcing them to return the tow trucks to the company so that the con- tow company continue to be in business and operate and make money to pay for their right. defense. So, like I said, dubious charges, not been convicted of anything. They haven't even gone to trial yet. Uh, mm-hmm. They're supposed to schedule to go to trial in June. But the, the the police tried to go after their tow trucks because of that. And there's multiple uh, stories of uh, that throughout the state of Alabama. There's one small town north of here that basically had the lowest police officer to citizen uh, ratio uh, in their city because they had like something like 15 cops in a town of like 2000 people. Okay. Because, and it, the police department was funded by civil asset forfeitures and right. the seizure of people's vehicles that were speeding through their town. So it's always been a problem in this state and there's been multiple attempts to try to reform it, but a new freshman legislator out of North Alabama, uh, his name is Andrew Sorrell out of district three props, uh, representative Sorrell, actually filed a bill in this legislative session to repeal civil asset forfeiture and not only repeal it, but prevent police departments in the state of Alabama from circumventing that uh, ban by participating at the federal civil asset forfeiture. Nice. Okay, good, good, good. Because that's a big uh, part of it. There are many times that they ban civil asset forfeiture, meaning in state, but then they're still allowed to participate in the federal program, making it absurd. They just have the Fed seize it and then they get it. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So that bill last week passed out of committee with a favorable recommendation and is now is now on the uh, uh, the agenda for the full House of Representatives. I nice. doubt it will pass. I'm skeptical because even efforts to reform the uh, reform civil asset forfeiture have failed in the state because it's run into resistance from law enforcement associations, police you know, the unions, different yeah. share like yep. the sheriff's organization, the organization of police chiefs. Because that's how they, if they don't fund their departments that way, that's how they bring in extra funding to do stuff like, for example, uh, our sheriff's department here in Mobile County, they do, they buy extra protective equipment like bulletproof vest or ammunition for the, uh, for the firing range to stay proficient. And that's the, they fund that through civil asset forfeiture funds. Well, civil asset forfeiture by definition is not criminal asset forfeiture which, you know, it would be perfectly okay with me, even as a libertarian, if you're convicted of a crime, yeah. if the police wanted to go after your property that you, uh, that you uh, profited from that crime, I'm all for that because you committed a crime. You were found guilty in a court of law of that crime. But if you are not convicted of a crime, uh, you shouldn't, the police shouldn't be able to uh, just willy-nilly take your property and then force you to prove that you didn't commit a crime and pay thousands of dollars, sometimes uh, three, uh, three, four, five, ten times the amount of what the property is actually worth. And see, that's yep. where they run in. Uh, that's where they how they get you is yep. they basically make you prove 
that you're innocent and you have to spend money with lawyers fighting in a court fighting lawsuits and you usually win if you actually challenge it in court but i mean you're out the money for the uh for the for your legal fees you get your property back but you're you're out the legal fees because the because the police know they're not going to have to pay your legal fees. So yeah. I've actually been talking to several state legislators here in Alabama that are friends of mine. And I'm like, uh, uh, I'm like, well, why don't we try this, this one reform, simple reform that, uh, that other states are trying with uh, tort reform, which would vastly improve the situation with civil asset forfeiture. And that is automatic loser pays. If a police police department or a sheriff's department seizes your property, you challenge that seizure in a court of law and you win, not only do you get your property back, but now if under automatic loser pays, the law enforcement organization has to uh, pay pay your lawyer uh, lawyer fees. Right. You know what would right. happen with if if you had that? You'd have lawyers that would take many more of these cases on contingency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, because they would review the the facts they would know they it would be a good case to take because it would most likely win and, and the uh, state would have to pay for their for their their costs as a result of it yeah exactly yeah. plus it would force law enforcement organizations to set up a pro uh, an administrative process that would be much cheaper for the property owners to go through to get their property back without actually having to go to court and hiring a lawyer because the law because uh, because the uh, the the sheriff's department or the law enforcement organization knows that if they, if you go to court and they lose that they have to pay your legal fees and they're not, they don't have the budgets for that. Yeah, exactly. And, and the thing is obviously the best way to go about it is just end it. You know, someone mentioned, uh, uh, I think it was Stanley Jajawi who said, you know, that, that some, you know, uh, most crimes on the books right now are unconstitutional victimless crimes. Uh, so absent that, let's say we remove the victimless crimes. Now you're only being charged for you know actual you know violent offenses and 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 you know theft and, and 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 not just violent but crimes that have victims theft fraud rape murder kidnapping that so forth and if they are after you've been convicted they're able to demonstrate that you profited x amount from that and then they seize based on that amount that's and, and you still have a process by which you you can still appeal that or whatever then that makes sense but to because how civil asset forfeiture is used in, in the two main ways is they go in, they accuse you of something, they seize all of your property so you can't effectively defend yourself. That forces you to plea it down because you don't have the money to defend yourself. Uh, and then now you lose everything because you can't effectively then go and uh, and go to court and say that you, you should have your stuff because you basically pled guilty uh, to something else. Uh, or if by some miracle, even without any of your money, you're still able to get found not guilty, you then still have to go to court and pay money to prove that they should give you the stuff back, even though it was just proven in court uh, uh, 